Hello and welcome to Hollow Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Shapiro. I'm Jack Weinman. And today we are joined by the creator of Hollow Talk, the legend, the brilliant Jack Yonover. Jack, welcome to Hollow Talk. Thank you. It's great to be back and uh, interesting to be on this side of the podcast, but I'm ready to eat some challah and get into it. Well, let me ask you, what was the last time you had a challah? The last time I had challah was actually at my overnight camp this summer. Yeah, this challah is from Emma's Bagel Cafe, uh, right near Old Orchard. It was, it was very, you know, very Jewish-looking place. Not a lot of masks inside, which concerned me, especially from the shop owners, mm-hmm. Emma, I presume. But um, yeah, I'm excited to try this. Hmm. It's like a, it's like a soft sesame bagel. <laughs> a soft sesame bagel. Now, the thing about a bagel is, bagels are a little dry. But we put cream cheese on bagels, we throw a little lox on the bagel. No problemo. But you don't put cream cheese on challah. You don't put butter on challah. This thing's way too dry for me. 3.2. Wow. Jack? You know, I do like the consistency. I think if it was a little, you know, moister, if you will, uh, this would boost its score. But I agree, this isn't in the upper echelon of challahs we've had so far, so... I'm sticking with a 2.8. So I guess for me, I'm conflicted with this hala. And I'm a little bit more liberal when it comes to halas than Mr. Jan over, over here. So I'm, I wouldn't call myself a purist by any means. So I like the, I enjoy the lightness of this hala, but it's missing something. It's missing a little bit of honey on top. But, and I think that you have to factor into scoring. For me, it's a 3.1. I think that's fair. That's fair. What does that bring us to? A composite score of uh, three point. I gave it a three two. Six three two eight. <laughs> this is yeah. We do, you don't do math here. Don't do math on the show. Um, These are entertainment that's juice. That's a nine point one. Nine point one. Yeah, it's uh, a pretty pretty bad score. Wrong, but, yeah. We you know that's a fifty one, not fifty one percent, slightly over fifty percent. Yeah which is also known as a failing grade, or in our grade school district, a U. <laughs> so we brought you on this show to talk about the election because you're very involved. Um, but I really just want to start off with the origins of Holotalk. So yeah. this idea is so phenomenal, and it's such a breakthrough. And it's, it's really genius to have a show based around Hala, and then you have a conversation with a unique guest every single week. How'd you come up with it? Um, that's a good question. And in trying to retrace the history of the show, I keep wondering, how did I come up with the idea? And it's a little hard for me to really pinpoint it. Um, I mean, me and Bobby would talk about how we wanted to do a podcast. I had kind of gotten my toes wet with radio at Nutrier with a show called The Fourth Wall. We would talk about movies, review stuff. But some of the limitations of that radio format is, I mean, two things. One, it's live, and so you... You can't really get an audience. And then two is when you're talking about movies, sure, I know a lot about film. So do a lot of other people. So I wanted to talk about something that no one else could really talk about, hit something that no one else could really, a market that no one else could tap into. I said, okay, what if we were to start to you know, sit down with people and really get a window into their life um, and, and unify them through challah bread? Because why not? I don't know what prompted that, this format, eating challah and talking. But there's something about it that felt so natural in understanding other people. 
Um, I think one aspect of it is I've always wondered why social media is so popular. Like, why are we sort of passively obsessed with learning about other people? Um, I think we can all agree, or at least some of us could agree, if you find out, oh, like, this friend of a friend did this, you might want to know, like, okay, who is this guy? I'm going to try and figure him out. You might click on his Instagram profile, do a little check, say, okay, he likes this, he likes this, oh, he's friends with this guy, hmm, interesting. Try to get a picture of him in your head. It's a really bad way to learn about people because, I mean, Instagram is just a terrible way to figure out who someone is. And so I, I thought of this as like HD social media. Like we can really teach you who someone is just by sitting down and having a normal conversation over some challah. Um, and so I think the goal really was just to tap into a lot of new perspectives and just create a connection with the greater Nutria community. Um, but yeah, I was very pleasantly surprised with how I think it worked, and I'm glad that you guys are carrying on the legacy and continuing to tap into those new perspectives. Yeah, did you did you ever really have an intent on promoting Jewish awareness to the Nutria audience? Because you know it's not that obviously not that popular at Nutria, and you've been said to not be the most Jewish Jew, um, especially when it comes to Jewish awareness. Right. Um, I think there's an aspect of it. I think that we've sort of normalized part of Jewish culture in a way that Seinfeld and Curb did for a lot of people. Because um, to me, Jewish culture has nothing to do with religion or going to temple. Absolutely. It's about these types of conversations. And so I think maybe that's why Hollow was the logical step. Like, here's the bridge between what being Jewish means to me, you know, just sitting down and talking to people, learning their story. Um, and I guess to make a darker connection, you know, talking about the Holocaust and some of the great tragedies of Jewish history, the way that our history has survived is through storytelling. And that's why I think a lot of Jews are filmmakers, comedians. We love to tell stories. And so this was sort of a way to explore that and tell stories in a unique way. And I think that's how the Jews have survived. And, you know, that's how humanity survives. We learn about each other. We learn at different stories. We learn how similar we all are. And so I guess the greatest thing I could hope for Holotalk was that someone would listen and realize how similar they were to other people at Nutrier, even though we look so different or feel so different. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, especially at Nutrier, people are so divided with social groups, and people really do use social media to make assumptions about people. Absolutely. And what the show has done, or at least what I've realized, is how every single person we've had on the show has offered something different. But nobody's really that different. Like, when it comes down to it, yeah, everybody is... Like, everybody is really kind that we've interviewed. And when you talk about, you know, Jews carrying on their story, that it's really practicing the tradition. That's what, that's what everybody says if you ask the most religious Jewish people. They're not trying to convert people. They're not trying. In fact, they don't want to convert anybody. They yeah. just want to make as many kids as possible. <laughs> but it's just they, you tell stories to carry on the tradition or else the, the people will be forgotten. And Jewish people, we love to talk. I, I mean, yeah, I think talking is the greatest gift humanity, storytelling really, the greatest thing that uh, we can do. You know, history is storytelling. Uh, in some ways, philosophy is storytelling. Just storytelling is, is what brings us together. And I think I learn a lot through listening to other people's stories. Um, so I guess I wanted this to, to be that in some way. Did you have a... Did you like interviewing Jewish guests more on Holotalk or non-Jewish guests on Holotalk? 
I mean, it's definitely fun to banter about challah and Jewish food and, you know, little inside jokes, but I think the most meaningful episodes we had were when I actually learned stuff from the guest. I think the cool part about challah talk is sometimes the podcast part of it would sort of blur, fade into the background, and I'd be having these conversations and forget that there were microphones. And so that, like, it was more for me in a selfish way, like what I got out of the conversations than even what I was giving to the audience. At a certain point, I'm not really thinking like, okay, what do people want to listen to this? Like, I'm interested. I'm going to ask this question. So, uh, yeah, I think Jewish guests I already understood a little better maybe. And so I guess not. Yeah, that's that's definitely definitely interesting. I, when we talked to Matt Budin, I felt, the, I felt that same connection when he was talking about the bowling. And that was the first time it really – just faded out for me when he was talking about that moment where he was struggling in the bowling state finals and he's looking around and he's feeling lonely he says where's my team and then they come back with these signs and he almost like that are saying you know go boot and and then um he almost bowls a perfect 300. perfect 300 so yeah that, you know yeah. you find like the stories that you think are like the climax of a movie or like out of a tv show they come from people. Like, we are experiencing these kind of stories all around the world. And so we don't necessarily need to turn to fiction to find uh, sort of inspiring or interesting stories. They're here every day, living with people, walking around. And it's it's really great to just stop, sit down, and talk to someone and, and learn about their life. Yeah, absolutely. I think that sort of goes back to camp. I don't want to talk about camp just yet. But when you're at camp, there are so many opportunities to tell stories. Oh, yeah. Whether you're sitting around a campfire that's kind of cliche, in the cabin, or just talking about what happened during that day, there's always something ridiculous that happens to somebody in your cabin or that you find out about or with the counselors or rumors going around. Or even, um, at least at my camp, I don't know what you guys do, something called a council fire. We do that. Yeah, that a counselor will go up and they'll have 20 minutes to do sketches and it'll be funny at times and serious at moments but there's a there's a message around around the whole thing and that's pretty I guess that's sort of similar to what we're doing here I mean yeah and I think every overnight camper would agree that when you get to camp your mind is instantly flooded with all those stories just thinking about in the past it's like on those grounds so many things have happened Mm -hmm. And it just ties it all together. I don't know. Camp's a hard thing to talk about because it's so special. And then at the same time, it's like you feel like you understand it really well. But I think there's a lot of it that's beyond my understanding of why it's such a great place. Yeah. But we can get to that later. So, um, Jack, when, when we approached Jack to do this episode, we really wanted to get his takes on the election because he's very politically informed. What I wanted okay. to ask you is not questions about the election itself, but just sort of do you think that people will ever – be less divided so i've been thinking about this a lot actually um last night i was watching youtube videos of john mccain's concession speech and a lot of his stuff on the campaign trail and just thinking back to how different politics used to be i don't know about you guys but the first election i ever watched and was really conscious about was obama mccain i was very young so did i really know what was going on no uh but i still remember both of those figures and i remember the emotions that came with it and John McCain, uh, while my family voted for Obama, and I'm pretty confident that I would have if I was of age, John McCain was not someone we were afraid of. Um, and he's you know, a really great guy. He's also a war hero, despite what Donald Trump wants to say. 
And I think at that time, things were probably much different. So we talk about division, and I think we very much two sides it. And that's fair. There's a lot of people on the left who are proposing extreme policies and saying things that are divisive. But I really think that a lot of this division stems from President Donald Trump or former President Donald Trump. Uh, and that's actually why I feel so urgently about getting him out of office. And why I say this is, is because uh, the way that he leads is intentionally divisive. Um, he couldn't get elected without division. To all of his opponents, he has to apply these ridiculous nicknames to. I mean, he started the Obama birther scandal. He was the one who started saying, Obama's not from America. I mean, that's, that's who he is. That's what his entire strategy is built upon. And so I think the division in America today is twofold. One, it's a response to Donald Trump because he's so ridiculously evil that him being elected really does have terrible consequences. Whereas opposed to in the past, the Republican Party winning, sure, we disagree with them, or I would disagree with them, but it's not like this apocalyptic democracy is falling apart type situation. So I think, one, we're divided by necessity because the other side right now is absolutely ridiculous. And I think you could make semi-similar criticisms of the Democrats, but to a far lesser extent. And then two, I think the Democrats and a lot of liberal-leaning people have overreacted with overreaching proposals as a response to Donald Trump, which has sort of pulled us farther apart. So can we ever be less divided? I think the internet is a very big obstacle to that. Fake news, radical messaging. But I don't want to give up hope. I think that Donald Trump is an exception to the rule. Um, there are a lot of great people in this country, and I really hope, I guess we'll find out in four years, three years, that the Republicans can put up someone who's a lot better and that that can slowly bring us together as we don't have to worry about the fate of democracy uh, if we can just get a normal Republican and a normal Democrat running against each other. And I think it's the people that, that it's sort of one policy that we can connect with where it's sort of maybe it's taxes or maybe it's if they're pro-life, but it's just tough I to think though those type of people. I think we used to be rooted in reality maybe more that could be naive but I don't think that a lot of Trump voters are so passionate off of anything that is tangible um, I think that what Trump has successfully done is marketed himself as real news and the entire media is fake news I actually messaged someone who was posting fake news on their Instagram story saying this ballot-burning video, which is completely fake and debunked by PolitiFact, CNN, a bunch of other fact-checkers. And I said, hey, can you take this down? And I sent him the fact-checkers. He immediately hits me with, well, CNN, that's fake news. And I'm just thinking to myself, you're a lost cause. I mean, I really don't know how to bring you back in to reality if you have bought into this narrative that anything Donald Trump says is real and anything anyone else says is fake. And if that's the world we live in, then that means we're going to live in two separate realities. And we can't solve problems in two separate realities. Yeah. What's your prediction on how this transfer of power results? Because I don't know what these next two months are going to look like by inauguration, but what are your thoughts on that? All right. So I think we have to talk about what does Trump want out of it because he really controls how this is going to go. Donald Trump, one, wants to make more money. That's why he ran for president. It's no secret. He was actually 
planning to drop out at a certain point, go back to the Celebrity Apprentice and say, I was the guy who could have been president, but then I decided no. Or the Republicans rigged it against me so I couldn't win the nomination. America decided to elect him, so that plan fell through. But he wants to increase his profitability. Uh, and so I think he might want to start Trump News Network or something like that. So this transition of power could look something like Donald Trump claims that he was frauded out of the election. He's going to put up that fight for a while, and then he's going to say, uh, I, they've stolen it from me, so now I have to leave power, but they stole it from me. And then he's going to start some news network where he rails against the liberal media, I guess, for the next four years until he gets arrested, whenever that is. Uh, then the second thing is Donald Trump doesn't want to go to prison, and the only way he can not go to prison is if he gets pardoned or stays in office. So we could see him try to, like, physically stay in the White House. I don't think he's that dumb. So there have been reports that he might barricade himself in the Oval Office, but I really can't see that happening. Um, I guess he could, in theory, resign and try to have Mike Pence pardon him or pardon himself on the last day of his presidency. I mean, who knows? But <laughs> the worst is yet to come, to be honest. He's now – and this is why I was so scared to reelect Donald Trump. Like – he always had something to be reelected for. If he was reelected, in theory, he has nothing to preserve. Like, he can do whatever the hell he wants. And that's the same truth now for these next 70 days as a lame duck president. He, he has no one to appeal to. So he's just going to do whatever the hell he wants. And whatever that may be, I'm sure it'll be insane. But we're just along for the ride. And that's what you get when you elect a maniac. I think it comes down to racism because if you look at the cities with the most mail-in ballots, yeah, it's, it's Philadelphia of, and Detroit, right? Yeah. Two predominantly black cities. So basically, there is a scenario where if these lawsuits are put out, he's suing all these, all, all the state governments, and then it goes to the House for a vote. And in the House of Representatives, there are more people living in the blue states but there are more red, red states, states in and of, in and of themselves so there is a scenario in which that could happen but the likelihood of any of these lawsuits going through and they will appeal them is slim to none i mean if it happens like i'm getting out of this country asap because yeah. that means that democracy well, i'd like to make the pitch i think people don't understand some people who are, are maybe less politically engaged or have been conservative their whole life, don't understand why Donald Trump is so objectively bad. Like, I truly believe, I don't care what your policy beliefs are, there's no excuse to vote Donald Trump in this election. And what he proved through this cycle, and what I've been saying for like two months, is Donald Trump is an anti-voting president. He's against voting. There's, and there's no way to rebut that at this point, because the man tweeted in all caps, stop the count. Stop counting votes. And then keep the count. Right, because then it would help him in this <laughs> yeah, exactly. state, but not in this one. Like, take a step back for a second and think about that. If seven years ago, if Obama was like, stop the count. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah. So Donald Trump's an anti-voting president. Yeah. At what point, though, like... Are all these people associated with Trump, his lawyers and whoever? Like, I'm not talking about his, the closest people in the administration, but at what point are they just going to realize, like, I don't want to go down in this fireball, this ball of flame and, you know, fall. Right, sink with the ship. Yeah. Good question. Uh, unclear. We'll know in the next few days. I don't know how much good it does to speculate on it. I think the only people that are going to sink with the ship are the people who have no choice. 
like Rudy Giuliani, Jared Kushner. I mean, those crooks are going to jail pretty soon, so they might as well die with the sinking ship. But you would hope that people like Lindsey Graham, Ted Cruz, and other Republican senators who are complete sellouts would at least try to save even a slimmer of respect by dumping Trump. Mm -hmm. I guess we'll have to wait and see. One, the response that a lot of kids who are Republicans have said is that 70 million Republicans are pissed off and there aren't any cities Oh, looting. don't even get me started on that. Okay, big fundamental difference with police brutality and innocent people being murdered by the law enforcement sworn to protect them while also having a federal government that isn't listening to these types of complaints versus democracy working and the people choosing to elect someone as opposed to electing another person. Uh, they've cited the fact that windows were boarded up in anticipation for election chaos. There's no evidence to say that they were worried about Democrats rioting if Trump won. Yeah, I 100% agree. And when I talk to people with a difference of opinion on this, I, I say when you have kids, they're going to be talking about this in history class as the modern-day civil rights movement. Yeah. And sure, there is rioting looting but for the most part it is peaceful protest and that is fantastic so it's sort of which side of history do you want to be on and if you explain that to them i think it they have to reflect on that well when you say what side of history do you want to be on that actually hit me hard this last two weeks um i had a conversation with someone who voted for trump that voted in a key swing state and i just i was like why did you do this and i actually managed to convince them to spoil that ballot and change their vote. And suddenly I got hit with this moment of like, wait, people can change their mind? Because I didn't believe that. I don't know how this person was, you know, on the fence, but I got them to change their mind. And so I was like, holy shit, I have not done enough. Like democracy is more than just casting your vote. You have to go above and beyond when the stakes are this high. And I started to feel like this great sense of guilt, like I have not done enough because if this goes the other way, I'm going to have to tell my kids, like, like, what did I do when Donald Trump was rising to power? I mean, look, uh, Trump rose in my eighth grade year. That's when he was in the primaries. He became this cult figure. And a kid started a YouTube series where he would make fun of holo the Holocaust. Uh, he said the N-word many times. Um... He depicted violence against Jews. He showed gruesome images of rotting Jewish bodies. Uh, I don't want to go into too many more details. These were some of the most racist and disgusting videos I've ever seen in my life. And as you said that, it kind of hit me. I mean, this guy, when he got suspended from school that day, was wearing a Make America Great Again hat. Exactly. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. I think Trump has made people much more comfortable being their worst versions of themselves. Racist, anti-Semitic. Uh, whatever it is. And that's a direct consequence of electing someone who, well, I don't like him personally, but he, ra he lowered the corporate tax rate from this to 20, you know. So, like, uh, it, that's not an excuse, in my mind, to vote for, for Trump. All right. We, yesterday we posted on the Holotalk story, fan, like, submit fan questions for, for Jack. Classic. From Karthik asks, what's the greatest movie of all time? Greatest movie of all time. Uh, hard question to answer, 
My favorite film of all time is The Big Lebowski. Um, the common theme between my top two films, The Big Lebowski and The Godfather, are greatest ensemble cast of all time. I love a movie with a great ensemble cast, a lot of good characters, great writing, great direction, great grand themes. Uh, the Big Lebowski just gets better every time you watch it. People are surprised when I name this as my favorite film because it doesn't really fit in with a lot of the other films that I love. Um, maybe people think it's a little less artistic and more comedic. And it is a comedy. But there's a lot of artistic and philosophical value to that film um, that I don't want to drone on and on about because I think people will just get bored. But if I had one movie recommendation, I think it's a great movie for all people, whether you're a film nerd like me or just a regular guy. Check out The Big Lebowski. Uh, it stars Jeff Bridges as the dude. And it's a great journey. And every time you watch it, it will get exponentially funnier. I can guarantee you that. From Sonia. Is he? Are you running a similar podcast or similar endeavor, creative endeavor at uh, in college, or are you going to plan on it? Not at the moment. I'd love to take up podcasting again. Um, I've already said all the reasons in this episode why I loved doing Hala Talk, why I love having conversations. So I'd love to come back to it, but right now it's not the time. But hopefully that time will come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I want to see. I want to. Pro- I want you to promote. Jewish awareness again. At yeah, bring back the. Uh, I mean, visit just visibility for the word challah. A lot of people thought it was challah. Yeah. We're just educating one person at a time. Education makes. No, sorry. Conversation makes the world go round. Education. Is a good thing, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. I guess it helps it spin. I don't know. We'll yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Education uh, keeps us on the perfect angular Axis, tilt. I don't know. Yeah. Not math or science, guys, on the podcast. No. Um. Another question from former guest, former friend of the pod. Former host. Former host, that's right. No, that was Bobby. That was Bobby. Yeah. I think that was Bobby. But friend of the pod, Aya Bajwa, asks, how has your life changed since your Khala Talk fame? It's a good question. I think the response I'd give, I wouldn't really call it fame, but it definitely, you know, I think the show opened up, hopefully, people to seeing how similar uh, we all can be and we all are. And I think Hala Talk helped destroy some of my pessimism for Nutrier. I'm a very pessimistic pessimistic guy. I'm a, I'm a dark thinker. Sometimes I'm like, God, 70 million people voted for this guy I hate. You know, they must all be dumbasses. Like, the world is filled with idiots. Everyone's a terrible person. Uh, and I, I think it's, you know, a dangerous road to go down on. And I think Holotalk sort of made me realize how many cool people there were at Nutria that I never would have talked to uh, and I just see passing in the hallway every day. And it's sort of like it expanded my mindset, my very closed mindset about people and, you know, almost this very selfish and stupid way of thinking that I sometimes have where it's like I know better than everyone else. And, like, I have a lot to learn you know, I'm just a random 18-year-old kid. There's so many cool people out there who I might disagree with now, and they're going to explain this thing to me, and I'm going to say, wow, like, that totally changed my mind. So I think it just opened my mind up to so many new types of people, new types of ideas, and just the power of conversation. So you talk about becoming open-minded, and um, that was that's sort of the – when I went to overnight camp, I, that was the – big thing that I I experienced because I was in a cabin with a lot of different kids that I'd never encountered yeah from my 
nine years prior to that point in Glencoe, and it was shocking. Right. Um, and so you ran camp during COVID. We did. So what was that like? Very proud of it. Um, I'm not going to bore you with the details of how we did it. It was a very well-executed plan. We did it very safely, and big credit to North Star Camp for pulling it off. We had zero COVID cases. Um, I was fortunate enough to be paired as a counselor with the oldest kids in camp. And I think when you talk about those defining moments, like meeting all those new types of kids, that's your final year at camp. We call it Pine Manor year, so if I call it that, that's what I'm talking about. I don't know what the Bagamon crazies call it. It's the lumberjack year, as lumberjack. it should be called. How ridiculous is that, lumberjack? Uh, but, yeah, I mean, what's really special about camp and what I, I think camp was the perfect antidote to COVID. Like, COVID pushed us all in our homes and made us stay away from people. Camp is about bringing people together. I mean, when you get off the bus at camp, the first thing you want to do is hug everyone. And so, you know, we couldn't do that the first 14 days, but running camp allowed us to bring that community back together. Um, I guess first I'll talk about it from a selfish perspective. Like, obviously it was great for the kids, but just for me, like, I skipped last year of camp to go and take USC film classes. I get back and it's like all these guys that I was close with and don't really have relationships with at that point, getting off, you know, getting back to camp. It took like 30 seconds. We're all best friends again. And I was just thinking to myself, like, how lucky am I to have this community to go back to and all these friends in such a dark time we're living in right now, such a lonely time to be back with these people is just incredible to be back with these people in a safe way. And so camp is that, I mean, I I think people that didn't go to camp maybe can't understand it as much and that's fine. You know, going to camp is a huge privilege, but just being able to reconnect with that community was incredible. And then for the kids that I was with for those seven weeks, uh, bringing that group together. I think 15-year-old is like a very interesting age. You're like half mature, half immature, and you really start to come into your own. And so like bringing all those kids together and letting them teach each other almost in this weird way um, and just spend time together was really special because that year for me at camp was big, like character development-wise. Being in that cabin, you know, being exposed to people who are different than you is important. You get out of your comfort zone. You learn about other ways of doing things, other ways of thinking of things, uh, and it helps you grow as a person. And so, being able to help facilitate that was was really special. Just being able to give back in that way. So, I mean, when I look at 2020, we call it the worst year ever. But when I look at my 2020, I I really can't say I I couldn't have had it better. I mean, I got to spend nine weeks in the North Woods that summer. And I got to go to the Boundary Waters and do a canoe trip for 10 days. I got to reconnect with so many friends. Um, and it was just, I mean, an incredible experience. Yeah. And I, I had a similar experience where I, I didn't go the last year because I had to play lacrosse and do all the recruiting nonsense. Worked out pretty well. It's all right. Um, but it's I, I had that same fear where it's, you know, could I connect with these kids? And that's what though that's what COVID brought me is that I reached back out to these kids and we'd play Settlers of Catan which is a board game we played pretty much every single night at camp and we'd do it virtually and it was the best thing that could have happened all summer because I'm stuck inside but here I am just dying like FaceTiming these kids that I haven't seen and now all I want to do is go back to camp and be counselors with these guys And, and I highly encourage you to do it because camp like those friendships were built without technology in the way. Mm-hmm. 
And so you don't need anything to do when you're with your camp friends. You can just sit down and talk because that's what a camp friend is. Like, you don't need to play video games with your friend. I mean, you guys played Catan, and like, but you also know that you guys, the Catan didn't have to be there, and you could have just hung out on FaceTime, and it would have yeah. been a great time. And that's what's so special about camp friends. Like, that's what's so special about being able to go to camp and not having technology in the way. It's like, we just hang out. It's it's great. Yeah. Camp is fun, but you also learn about the people in your cabin. You yeah. Know? It's real-life learning. It's real-life learning. It's 100%. like being a counselor, I almost felt I have to be sort of a teacher. I felt a lot of pressure coming in. You know, that year was so important for me as a camper. Can I recreate this as a counselor? And I was worried. And I think, like, the big thing for me was trying to push – all those values that make camp special onto my kids. Um, but yeah, I mean, camp is in its own weird way, like a better version of school. Like, I think I learned more in my eight summers at camp as a camper and a counselor than I did at school in terms of what will help me in the real world. It's just, and I think incredible. camp helps really fill in a lot of the gaps, like character wise, yeah. just build good people. We have a sign outside our camp that says, Drive slowly, future world leaders at play. Mm-hmm. It's just a really good way to sum it up. Yeah, and I guess when you talk about your counselor, it's sort of shaping the summer. When I think about, when I think about is how every, sick, every counselor I had that next year in school, I was influenced by them in a certain way. Oh, yeah. My first you want to be like them. Yeah, my first year I had this camp's counselor who was just such a purist. He lives off the grid. I'm pretty sure he was 29 years old at the time. I just <laughs> let him come back. His name was Shimkins. And I found myself in my um, Common App essay quoting him from my Swamper year. That's incredible. And, and then when I think about uh, my, my second to last summer, um, there was this guy I met who just, I was like, wow, this is a really tremendous guy. And that's how I found out about the school that I'm going to next year. And so it's like, it's like, wow, all these things that were just little details so, like, sort of just shaped who I am right now. Well, Jack, so happy to see you in person for the Thank first you. time since, since really that last day because oh. yeah, we were in ninth period physics. <laughs> what a last day. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, thanks so much for reaching out, and we've such, been such a pleasure to have you here. Yeah, I mean, thanks, thanks for having me back. It's... Uh, this podcast is in very good hands. I'm very happy with the direction it's going, and I'm excited to see it continue. So to everyone who listened to uh, my version of Holotalk, make sure you start listening to Chapter 2. These guys are doing great things, and um, thank you for carrying on the legacy and doing it the right way. I love it.